Let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally, by your mercy, obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. I'm just kidding. I'm not preaching on that this morning. (laughs) It's the only thing worse in an electionary than preaching on the fig tree, so I couldn't resist. Um, (laughs) Good morning. On Friday, I went hiking with some friends and my dog, Boo Radley. Now, Boo is a puppy who's about 19 months old, and so he lives very fully into the theme from the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome. He runs around eager to sniff everything on the trail, encounter every animal as his new best friend, and trying to drink everybody's water that they're carrying along the trail. He's a rather dramatic hiker, flailing around and throwing himself down in the shadiest of spots when he finds them, and then slowly acting like I'm punishing him with death. As we got further up the mountain, we had to be more aware of where we were going, where our feet were being placed, and I began to notice that Boo Radley naturally gravitated to the places that weren't as rocky, that weren't as thorny, and then we're able to carry his tender little paws up to the mountaintop. And it made me think about the trend that began a couple years ago of barefoot running. Do you remember this? It was a trend that came about in part as a result from a book by a man named Christopher McDougall called Born to Run. McDougall was an avid runner, but realized that his consistent training often left him in deep pain. And seeking to figure out why, he began to study the Terra Humera tribe of northern Mexico. This tribe, men, women, and children are able to run hundreds of miles, days upon end, barefoot, or with the thinnest of Harachi sandals. And what McDougall realized is that the barriers we put between our bodies and the ground, shoes, cause a natural reaction that is unnatural. When we're barefoot, we perceive the world differently. We take in sensory information in a way that we normally deprive ourselves of doing. And it couldn't be shocking. Ultimately, our ability to absorb the world around us using our bare feet requires us to feel safe, that nothing will harm us that we won't have to run away quickly. Because being barefoot allows for vulnerability, both wanting to avoid those injuries and by the overwhelming senses of new input. But also, being barefoot is rather comfortable. And if you live in a no-shoes home or visit one, the message is always, take your shoes off and relax. Stay a while. Today, Moses is invited to take his shoes off in a rather more intimidating way. 
Moses is a man who lived within three different societies. He's gone from being treated as a prince of Egypt to the life of a nomadic shepherd. One day he will learn how to be the Hebrew he was born as. But today as he moves his flock up a mountain, he sees a bush on fire. And as he looks closer, he sees that though fire surrounds the bush, the plant is not consumed, nor is the fire spreading in the dry desert that looks very much like our own. So Moses has a great reaction. I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when God sees that he has Moses' full attention, he calls out, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. And thus is established a prophetic pattern. When someone is called by name twice, it is a call from the divine. And the only response, unequivocally and wholeheartedly, is here I am, without knowing what comes next. Now, in the ancient world, names had power. And giving a name to a person or a place was an important act. If you were able to name someone, you had a type of power over them. You established a relationship with them of guaranteed response and of accountability between you and them. And when God calls your name, The relationship goes from being mystical to tangible in a moment. God calls Moses, but before God returns the introduction, he insists that Moses remove his sandals. Being barefoot thousands of years ago in the desert is no less treacherous than now. But here on the mountain, with a Hebrew man who doesn't know much about being Hebrew at all, God requires something that only priests at the time practice. In the temple, in order to make a sacrifice to God, in order to approach the altar, in order to have a full encounter with the holy, priests must remove their sandals. And here with Moses in the book of Exodus, God establishes for the first time that places can be holy. In Genesis, God only speaks to time being holy in the sense of the Sabbath. God then introduces himself to Moses by his pedigree, and it's the same way that royalty was introduced, which again is a language that Moses speaks. By saying to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, God is tying together for Moses through the generations the promise of the nation of Abraham, Israel. And Moses' response is to hide his face. God tells Moses that he has heard the cry of his people. And in Hebrew, this verb for cry is one of the strongest in the language. It speaks to the anguish of the oppressed or the agonized plea of the helpless victim. And God reiterates for Moses in this moment, this man who was born a Hebrew but has not yet lived as one, of the promise to God's people that Moses will bring forth. And Moses is taken aback. Who is he to do this? 
But God reassures him that he's not just some divine message boy. God will be with Moses and promises that it will come to pass in such a way that the Hebrews will worship God on the very mountain where Moses now stands. Now maybe this would be enough for us. We're walking along in our lives, minding our own flock, when suddenly we're overwhelmed by a sense of God, of God becoming real in the world. And we're made vulnerable by this divine presence and feeling deeply humbled to be aware of this moment, present to this great presence. We're assured for the first time to us that God has promises for us that God will keep. Now that alone would be a pretty good day. But Moses, at his most vulnerable in this rapidly forming new reality, barefoot and with his face still covered, asked God, but who are you? And God could have responded by saying, I just told you. But remember, Moses doesn't know God. He doesn't know God's promised name. And the Almighty, who was already expressing humility by showing up personally, again reaches forth to meet Moses where he is. God says to Moses, Eya, Asher, Eya, which translates to a lot of things. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. I am the one who causes things to be. Only God has the power to name God. So Moses will go down from the mountain, taking what God is saying in the first person, and will report his name in the third person, the I moving to he, the name we know as Yahweh. But in naming mythology... The ability to call one another by name also means that you can ask great things of each other. In Egyptian mythology, when the goddess Isis finally learns the name of the god Ra, she is able to ask him for anything and receive it. And today, God is giving the power to ask, the ability to be in a bound relationship the opportunity to live as equal members of a covenant to Moses and to all of the Hebrew people. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Generations upon generations later, God's promises are being brought into being through God humbling himself once again. Again, the people who call out to God are hurting and lost, humbled and vulnerable. And again, God responds with unprecedented vulnerability of his own. Again, God gives them a name to write upon their hearts and to keep on their mouths in prayer. Jesus, who tells his followers, Even before Abraham was born, I am. I am the God who keeps promises, who leads you into new life, who knows you by name and wants you to know me by mine. 
In the season of Lent, we willingly make ourselves like Moses. In our humility, we cultivate the gift that is vulnerability before God. We listen for how and where God is calling our name, and we seek to know Jesus by his name. To get to Easter, we'll have to watch Jesus wash the feet of his disciples, and we'll follow his bare feet on their way to Calvary. But in the meantime, as we are well known to God, Jesus invites us to get to know him. So take your shoes off, relax, and stay a while.